right. Well, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you on another podcast. We thank you that, although I'm going to be speaking over the podcast, I thank you that it's actually you speaking. And I thank you that you have made us one and that the Holy Spirit even now is enlightening the eyes of my understanding and he is filling my mind with thoughts that are your thoughts. Because, Father, you know every listener. You know what is going on in their life. You know their calling. You know their past. You know what their prayers are right now, God, what they're standing for in their lives right now, Father. You know the future. You know the obstacles that are in front of them, Father, and you know how to encourage them. You know what they need to hear exactly when they need to hear it. And so, Father, I pray that tonight's message would be an encouraging word. I also pray, Father, that it would be a a strategy, that it would be a strategy to help every person, Father, that's listening Make progress towards experiencing the fullness of who they are in you. That they would be upgraded to a new level of experiencing what it's like for Jesus to be wearing their skin. And for them to be seated in heavenly places right now wearing Jesus. Father, I pray that you would... Establish them in righteousness and use the revelation and the truth that you speak tonight through me to set them free. Father, you said that that, that when we know your truth, when we know the truth, that we will be set free. And so I pray, Father, for just a new level of freedom tonight, a new level of joy, of peace, of righteousness in the Holy Ghost. I pray for heaven to manifest And Father, I just release your presence over every listener right now, God. I just declare they have ears to hear. I declare that their hearts are open to receive. And that, Father, they can hear what you are speaking to them, even as I'm talking. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, the title of tonight's um, podcast is going to be called Braving the Wilderness. And I'm going to be sharing an encounter that I've had with the Lord. It's been um, several months that the, the, this encounter has been unfolding for me, and I actually just shared it. Uh, we just had a graduate event. Um, we have graduates in our, from our Emerge School of Transformation that just came in for a summit, and um, that was the first time that I'd really shared it publicly. And the fruit of this encounter uh, in several of the people there, but definitely uh, the fruit of the encounter in my life, has been to help me get set free from the opinions of other people. And also come into agreement with God's opinion of me. I I think I I might have shared this in previous podcasts. If not, I'll go ahead and share it um, today. But... I was pretty shocked, I think, um, towards the middle of 2018 and kind of coming into 2019, uh, when the Lord really started doing kind of a deeper work in my life. How many of you know that God's always doing something deep? (laughs) And just when you think, you know, like, woo, made it through, made it through, I'm on this new plateau of of joy and whatever, right? Well, you know, it's like you, you coasted along with that for a moment, and then the Lord just is like, 
yeah, but there's this one lie over here. There's this one experience that you walked through uh, that uh, you're still, you know, not completely recovered from. And so he's just constantly healing our hearts and renewing our minds and, and causing us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And how many of you know that the image of Jesus is love? And so he is constantly doing the work in our hearts and in our lives that is producing the fruits of love, producing the fruit of spirit in our lives. And I know that there is an epidemic in the world today, and I want to say this, yes, also in the body of Christ, although maybe not as discussed, uh, in this area. And it is in the area of our relationship with ourselves. And it's in the area of... Our, the way that we see ourselves, our own self-image. And when the Lord started kind of unpacking it for me, you know, here I am, I'm like, you know, the encounter girl. You know, I'm like the union with Jesus girl. You know, I've been practicing union with God now for almost two decades. And so this is not, you know, this this kind of was a surprise for me, if I'm just honest, right? I didn't know the depths that I still struggled in my relationship with myself. And I really, you know, here, here's what happens, is when you struggle in your relationship with yourself, and you've done it your whole life, it's just normal. You know, you're, you're accustomed to the, to the self-talk that goes on in your head. You're accustomed to, um, you know, the way that you see yourself. I mean, it's not something that, you, you know, really is challenged on a regular basis, I, I think, I think it just is kind of like breathing. You just, it's just kind of a way of being that you're just not that conscious of. And so just in all honesty, I, I, I was, I was surprised. Um, I also, in a way though, knew. Uh, I'm just, you know, I think one of the reasons why people enjoy my ministry sometimes is because it's just kind of like I just get naked. You know, I mean, I'm just very transparent. I'm very real. Um, and I, I, I really don't know how any, how else to be. And I think, you know, that's honestly the way the Lord would have it. Uh, I think there's too much in the body of Christ where we, we, we feel like we have to hide. We have to hide our brokenness. We feel like we can't be um, authentic. And I don't think it's just in the body of Christ. I think, again, we have an epidemic in the world uh, when it comes to authenticity and feeling like we belong. And uh, so a lot of times we put on masks and we... You know, we just pretend. <laughs> but, you know, the thing that's that's really dangerous about that is that the actual translation or one of the meanings of the word Pharisee, you know, we always think of it as being a hypocrite, but it's also another word for actor, which is another way of saying we're pretending, right? And so if we're not, if we're really going to come out of religious bondage, and we're really going to experience our freedom in Christ, then at some point we do have to enter back into this place where we are naked and unashamed. And, of course, that, that starts in our relationship with God because he's the safest. Jesus is the safest person you're ever going to meet. He's never going to judge you. He's always going to be a safe place for you to be authentic. He's not afraid of your brokenness. He's not afraid of your sin. And so, you know, tonight is going to be one of those, I think, kind of, you know, Times where I'm just going to be really transparent. I think it's going to bless you, though. Uh, so even, let me back up. So even though I was surprised 
<laughs> you know, that, that the Holy Spirit was bringing this up for me in one sense. I, I guess in another sense, I wasn't surprised. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of my background. I mean, when I, when I was called into ministry in my 30s, um, God gave me about a five-page word. I don't think I'd ever heard God this clearly before, but I remember I was coming into my condo. I lived in downtown Chicago at the time, and I came in, and he was like, grab a pen, get your journal, and I was just like, okay. He's like, I just wanted to look around and see if he was in my, in my condo, you know, because it was just so clear. And so I grabbed this, this journal, and I grabbed a pen, and I, I began to write, and I wrote five pages of things from the Lord. I mean, it had to do, at the time I was dating Brian, it had to do, you know, uh, with my relationship with Brian. It also had to do with just some challenges that were, you know, I was facing at the time in my life uh, that, uh, you know, I, were really a big deal. And then he also, you know, <sighs> talked to me about the call of God in my life. But the other thing he did, which was really annoying, was that he just put his, he just like he just put his finger on one of the biggest strongholds of my life. And that stronghold, I know where it came from. Um, it came from my childhood, but the stronghold was this. He said, you fear other people's reactions. And when he said that, um, I knew it was true. But, you know, isn't, isn't it super frustrating to know something's true, but you don't know what to do about it? You know, to be, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who's actually been in a level of bondage where if God didn't show up, you were going to stay there. You know, I always, I always get annoyed with people in the body of Christ, honestly, that like think people should just, you know, get over it or whatever. But, you know, when he said that, I, I totally knew it was right. And I kind of, because I'd already done so much therapy in my 20s and, oh my God, I'd done so much to try to fix stuff in my life that I also knew where it came from. And, you know, I, I grew up in a very volatile home. And my, both of my parents, my mom, God, mom, you know, has gone on to be with the Lord, God rest her soul. And my dad and I have an incredibly blessed relationship today. There's a completely different relationship. I mean, so this is years ago. I mean, years and years since when I was a kid. But my home was just crazy town. And both of my parents had hugely large emotions. My, my dad was a, a violent, uh, angry man. Um, and so you never knew when he was going to explode and when the violence was going to break out in my home. And with my mom, you know, she was a lot of times the object of that. I was as well, but a lot of times it was my mom. And she was literally on the verge of like a nervous breakdown as much as I could remember my mom. I love her and she wasn't always like that. They divorced when I was in college, you know, so there were years that weren't that traumatic in our relationship, but I'm just being honest. And as a kid, truthfully, I just never felt safe. You know, you never knew what was going to be going down and I kind of became the regulator of the atmosphere of my home just kind of by default. You know, it was kind of my job to kind of try to, in my head, right? It was like, who can really do this? But it was my job to kind of keep, you know, to kind of pacify my father and keep him, you know, calm. And it was my job to kind of be 
the grown-up and the parent for my mom. At least this was my perception. I'm sure if my parents were here tonight and they talked on the microphone, they would have a completely different perception of this. But I was a kid. And when you are a kid, you have immature perceptions. You have limited capacity to even process experiences, especially traumatic ones. And so uh, the bottom line is that by the age of 15, you know, I started partying like I was, you know, Mick Jagger. You know, I, I really was a wild child. And it was my way, I think, uh, when I look back in that, of, of escaping and, you know, trying to enjoy my life. Thankfully, I never, you know, got addicted. I mean, I did get in trouble, but I didn't, you know, I never, like, really fell into some of the, you know, really dark places that people go with that. But my point is, is that I'm sharing that to say that when God said you fear people's reactions... I knew that I did. And it was also during a time when in my life where the Holy Spirit had kind of, I was just in these, these circumstances. It was just like crazy circumstances uh, in my head. I mean, I don't know that it was that crazy in the big scheme of things, but it was like I was in five different scenarios and circumstances going on in my life that made me literally feel like I was a ping pong ball. So it's like I was just being bounced around by these circumstances. It's like I was so unstable, you know, unstable inside. My emotions were all over the place. It's like I was just like a puppet being pulled in all these different ways. I kind of call it, now I call it a trigger web. (laughs) I didn't have a name for it then, but it was just like everywhere I turned, I was getting triggered. And I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know then what I know now, but I knew I was just, operating out of this stronghold as well. And I'm sharing that because a lot of us, for a lot of variety of reasons, have been programmed to do the same thing. Either we are afraid of people's opinions, we are afraid of their reactions, we allow other people's emotional responses or or just their opinion of us to control us. And so I'm sharing that to say, kind of some background here, that when last summer God was like about to kind of start talking to me about my relationship with myself and getting free from this, you know, and I feel like he's been working on this for a long time, so I feel like there's been layers of freedom. I have to say I was a little bit surprised when he came after my relationship with myself. And I really didn't realize that I didn't have a good relationship with myself, honestly, like like he wanted me to have. I didn't realize that I had allowed my relationship with myself to fluctuate many times based upon my relationship with other people. And so that was when this encounter kind of began to unfold. And and it was a it was one of these encounters where you you get pieces of it and then it's like you walk through a little bit of your life and then you get another piece of it. Meaning I would be in prayer and God would give me a piece of this vision. And then it's like, you know, I'd maybe it'd be a, you know, a couple of weeks would be some other things happen in my life and then I'd get another piece of the vision. And so um if that's not a way that God speaks to you, I I want to encourage you that it is a way <laughs> that God likes to speak to us. And um, 
he is still speaking. The Holy Spirit is still speaking in dreams and visions. I mean, I had dreams this week. Just this week, I had to wake up in the middle of the night and write in my journal the stuff that he was sharing with me because he is after your freedom. He is after, if it's not, if this is not the, the stronghold of your life, let me tell you, he is after the strongholds in your life, the ones that you are aware of and the ones that you are not aware of. Why? Because in Christ, whom the Son is set free is free indeed. And so it's like, it's like the Emancipation Proclamation has been signed. When Jesus came out of the grave, I mean, it was a declaration to all of hell, of all of the universe, honestly, heaven and hell and everything in between, that you know what? The enemy is defeated, captivity has been taken captive, and that that humanity has been set free. Jesus is Lord now. But the reality of it is, it's just like the Emancipation Proclamation that, you know, or even when the Israelites came out of Egypt. You know, just because you've been set free legally doesn't mean that you're experiencing your freedom experientially, right? That you're actually free. You're, you're, you're living free. So I want to just kind of go into this encounter a little bit. Let me, let me back up before I do, um, because I, I don't want to, I, I want to spend the time that's necessary on the encounter. Um, but I want to say this, you know, because self-love is sometimes thought of in, 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 in Christian circles. It's kind of thought of, I know growing up this is what I would have thought, you know, growing up in the Baptist church, that self-love is selfish, that it is self-centered. But the reality of it is the alternative, <laughs> you know, I mean, people say, well, the alternative is self-forgetfulness. Well, I would, I would agree to, a, to a, an extent that we are to be God-conscious and not self-conscious. But until your relationship with yourself is settled, and your identity in Christ is truly the, the way that you actually see yourself on a subconscious level, you are not going to be free to be God-conscious. You're not going to see yourself correctly. And only those with an image of themselves that is in Christ can actually be self-forgetful. You know, <laughs> so the, the there is a process that we walk through. You know, the word of God says that Christ, that we love him because he first loved us. And you know what? He loves you. He loves you. And his love for you basically means that you are lovable. God's love for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's declaration that the world is lovable is is demonstrated through Jesus' life, ministry, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. You are lovable. God has declared you lovable. Ephesians 1, in chapter 1, it talks about how the how God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I mean, you are chosen. You're not only loved, but you are chosen. The world is loved and the world is chosen. You know, and I, I want to kind of take it one other step because... You know, self-love is kind of, love is one of these words, you know, it's like we love pizza, we love, you know, Gucci shoes, we love all kinds of stuff. And so it's almost lost, lost its meaning. There's romantic love, there's, you know, we, but the love of God, I mean, it's, it's hard to actually grasp. And so there's some other concepts that have really helped me get my head around what it means to be loved by God and to be chosen and, 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 and so forth. And, and I just want to use this word with you, that 
it means that you're, I know, and I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to expand on it. It means that you're actually accepted. Okay, it means that you belong. Okay, it, it means that you're not rejected. Okay, you're chosen, you're loved, you're not rejected, you're accepted. Now, I want to turn this around, that if that is your, that is what God has declared you to be, then for you to relate to yourself any other way is antichrist. So let me put some self words in front of that. That means that God loves you, so you have permission to love yourself. It means that God has chosen you. You belong with God. So that means that you have, you have no right to reject yourself. You have no right, honestly, to dislike yourself. God doesn't just like you. He, I mean, you're like, well, Shalise, I do all of these terrible things. Like, I am not, I am, I am a terrible Christian, right? Well, join the human race, right? There was one. There was one who did it right. And who you are and what you do are completely two separate things. And I want you to, for parents out there, this makes sense. I mean, our kids are our kids regardless of what they do. You don't change your love for them because they act a certain way or act, you know, I'm actually coming through a weekend where I've been working with my daughter and she didn't get the part in the play that she tried out for. You know, and I, I just looked at her today and I just said, listen, I wouldn't be any more proud, or proud of you and I wouldn't love you anymore if you had got the lead part. I am, I am so proud of you and I love you so much and it has nothing to do with the part that you're playing in the play. And, you know, it's so easy for us to do that sometimes to our kids and kind of grasp that. But can we relate to ourselves like that? Do we have the kind of relationship with ourselves where it doesn't fluctuate based upon what we are or we are not accomplishing or how we are performing or if we're doing it right or if we're doing it wrong? And the, the reality of it is, is that in addition to having this, you know, thing in my life that has been there for a very long time about fearing people's reactions, you know, as God began to dive into this thing, I mean, the truth is I had a very, very performance-based relationship with myself. And I was, I was not above name-calling. Like, you know, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I did that. You know, and, and a lot of times, you know, you're kind of joking. But are you really? Like, you can, do you walk around calling other people idiots? You know, do you walk around calling other people stupid? Do you walk around, you know, berating other people because they, they messed up? Maybe you do. Well, if so, that's a whole other issue for a whole other podcast. But the point is God cares about your inner, inner dialogue. He cares about the way that you talk to yourself. He cares about the way that you relate to yourself. He cares about your relationship with yourself. So let me just go a little bit into the encounter, and then I'm going to dive off and see where we go with this. But So this encounter started in a very annoying way. In fact, there was a lot of lessons to learn in the beginning of this encounter, just in the way that God speaks and how we have to not lean on our own understanding, how we don't, we cannot lean on our own judgment when it comes to the things of God, honestly, when it comes to anything. Because if anybody knows me, they know that I can't stand snakes. 
Okay, I had a crazy experience, another experience when I was a, with ki- a kid with a nest of water moccasins in a pond when I was riding a horse that got in the pond. And I'm just going to tell you, without going into the whole story, I was traumatized. And I cannot handle snakes, especially water snakes. Oh my gosh, they give me the eebie-jeebies. Please, they are just horrible. So in this vision, I was a little disturbed and a little annoyed when it started out with me walking through the wilderness, except this wilderness, you couldn't really tell it was a wilderness that well because it was covered with snakes. And it was covered with snakes as far as you could see. So there were snakes to the left, snakes to the right, snakes behind me, snakes in front of me. I could see the mountains in the distance, but it was just snakes. What was no- kind of annoying about it was, I mean, besides the snakes, that was super annoying, was that there was this tiny little path, you know, maybe about, I don't know, two feet wide, going through the snakes that I was walking on following Jesus. Now, Jesus was in front of me. And he, by the way, this Jesus was like, I kind of called him like Guru Jesus or something. He reminded me of like Obi-Wan Kenobi Jesus or like Yoda Jesus or something. Like he was some, like he had this robe on and it was like he was going really fast through the walking. He was walking very swiftly through the, through the, through the snakes and through the wilderness. But his robe was like behind him in slow-mo. You know, so it was like totally dramatic going through the wilderness. And he, he was like, it was like parting the seas, but the seas were snakes. And so he's like walking, he's like parting the sea of snakes and walking through the wilderness is like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi Jesus. And I'm following him and I'm super annoyed. Like I'm annoyed even in the vision. I'm like, why am I in the wilderness with all these snakes? Jesus, you know, I hate snakes. You know, but I also, when I would keep walking, they would close behind me. So I couldn't go back. My only choice was just to keep up with Jesus at that pace and follow this little two-foot path through all these snakes. Now, it gets weirder, right? By the Spirit of God, I specifically knew what kind of snakes they were. And they were vipers. And immediately, of course, when you when I heard the word viper, I'm thinking, oh wait, that's in the Bible. <laughs> Vipers are the snakes that Jesus, he, you know, he said, oh, you generation of vipers, right? Well, let me let me read you exactly what Jesus had to to talk about in relationship to vipers. Um, okay, let me pull up my scripture here. I'm doing this with one hand. So give me a minute. Here we go. Pull it up on my phone. All right. Hold on. I should have had it up. I apologize. Okay. It's in Matthew 12, verse 34 through 37. And I'm just going to read it to you. I'm in the King James Version, which is fine. It says, Oh, Generation of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say unto you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. So I went and I read that. Okay, got that. And I'm just sharing the vision. You know, it, this again, this unfolded over the course of several months. But I sat with that, okay, I'm walking through the wilderness following Guru Jesus with a, the, in the wilderness of vipers. You know, I also remember that, wait a second, there was another place in the Bible that had to do with vipers, and that was in the wilderness with the Israelites. And so I did a little bit of research on this wilderness when, if you remember it, right, they were murmuring and they were complaining out in the wilderness, which is interesting because the wilderness that they were traveling across was actually called the wilderness of sin. And in the wilderness of sin, okay, I just want you to bear with me, they started murmuring and complaining against Moses, and these vipers came out and bit them. And they were dying from the venom in these vipers until, you know, the Lord instructed Moses to lift up a brass pole with a snake on it and anyone that looked at the snake on the brass pole, which, by the way, is still the, you know, the, the emblem for medicine today, would be healed. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is very interesting, Father. It's very interesting, Holy Spirit. What is going on with this wilderness of, of sin, vipers, and I, that I'm following Jesus? And so next, these vipers that are in the wilderness, I could hear this noise. It was like, like this, this whispering, this, this whispering in the wilderness, that these, this noise that the snakes were making. And it's like I looked, and they had risen. They were all like rising up, like almost kind of like a cobra or something. But their heads were not normal snake heads. They actually had, it was like a, a snake human. It was like they had little, they were snakes, but it was like they had human faces. And I could hear them, mur- I could hear that the, the, they were whispering, they were whispering, and they were whispering accusations. It was accusation after accusation after accusation after accusation. And they were all accusations against me. Accusation after accusation after accusation after accusation. These creepy snakes. <laughs> now they're even creepier with these heads, these heads, right? I was just like, hey, enough of that, Jesus. But then I also remembered this other guy <laughs> in the Bible who had gone through the wilderness, right? Remember when Jesus went through the wilderness? And we know in that story what happened was Jesus had, before he went into the wilderness, he had gone to John the Baptist and he was there to be baptized. He was, right? And, and John the Baptist was like, wait, you know, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not even worthy to, you know, unlace your sandals here, you know. But God was like, hey, Jesus was like, yeah, just do it. This is the, the, you know, the way to fulfill all righteousness. And, you know, as John baptized him, right, the Holy Spirit comes down. And I'm just, I'm just telling you the story. I'm not reading it in the Word. You can go find it in the Word yourselves. We're going to read, in, read some other parts in a moment. But, you know, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus And then when he came out of the water, the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
Okay, like this is, this is like the equivalent, you guys, of God speaking our identity to us, either through the word of God or through, you know, through our journal, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are my beloved child. You're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. I, you are my favorite. You are, you know, holy and perfect. I mean, all of the things that the gospel teaches us about who we are in Christ. Okay, this is Jesus's equivalent of learning his identity, right? His spiritual, his true identity. It wasn't like, you are the beloved son of Mary and Joseph, and who I am well pleased. No, he was like, you're my son. You're my son in whom I delight. And I love that scripture. And I'll go ahead and pull up my other Bible uh, app on my phone because I, that way I can just navigate a little quicker. You know, but he, he was, I love the passion translation of that scripture. So let me just go find it really quick. Um, I'm going to go over to, I guess I'll go to the Mark version of it. Um, see if I can... Oh, sorry. It's Luke. Okay. In Luke, let me go to the end of the chapter that he says this in. Okay. So in Luke 3, in verse 22, this is in the, in the, in the Passion Translation. Let me read it to you. That the way that they say it is so, so powerful. But the Father says this in Luke 3, 23. He says, well, I'll start because it starts in 21 in the Passion. It says, one day Jesus came to be baptized along with all the others. As he was consumed with the spirit of prayer, the heavenly realm ripped open above him and the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in a visible, tangible form of a dove and landed upon him. Then God's audible voice was heard saying, my son, you are my beloved one. Through you, I am fulfilled. I love the way the Passion Translation says that. But again, this was Jesus getting, you know, the Father's stamp of approval and his identity from straight from God. But then, right in chapter 4, it says, verse 1, from the moment of his baptism, Jesus was overflowing with the Holy Spirit. He was taken by the Spirit from the Jordan to the lonely wilderness of Judea to experience the ordeal of testing and the the, the Passion Translation says, by the accuser for 40 days. So Jesus, for 40 days, was going through the wilderness. It says he ate no food during this time. And, and when he ended his 40-day fast, he was very hungry. Well, I can imagine. Okay, but here's the point. For 40 days, the accuser was out there testing Jesus. You know what he was doing? He was accusing Jesus. And when you read this, like in verse 3, it says, it was then, after he was hungry, that the devil said to him, if you are really the son of God, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread for you. In other words, are you really who you say you are? Prove it. Prove it. Right? And so the accusation against Jesus here was that he wasn't God's beloved son. And he was trying to get Jesus to actually do something, to be something. 
you better hear me. He was asking Jesus to do something, to, to be something, right? Which is the opposite of how identity works. We don't do something to be something. We do out of our being. You know, and in this, you know, we know Jesus' response. He's like, listen, God does not live by, I mean, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. So he just answered the accusation with the truth, right? And if you go through, you know, that entire chapter, that entire section in Luke, you'll see that the enemy just kept coming and coming and coming, accusing Jesus, accusing Jesus. And finally he's like, you know what, Satan, get behind me. So this is what I'm thinking of, right? I, I, this is all unfolding for me. I'm sitting with this encounter with the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm going into the scripture. I'm kind of trying to interpret what is going on with these, these snakes accusing and, you know, and so I'm, I, and it's interesting because I'm in the encounter and I'm, I'm me following Jesus. And so I'm asking Jesus questions. I'm like, Jesus, what, you know, what's happening? Like, what's going on? You know? And it, it's like he wasn't even talking to me. It's like he wouldn't turn around. He just kept walking with this, you know, slow-mo robe. And I'm like, gosh, what? I mean, why would you talk to me? And then, you know, I hear him inside my head. I hear him saying, I, I, I will totally talk to you. I'm not sure why he didn't answer me before then. But I'm like, I mean, why won't you turn around and talk to me? Like, stop for a second or something. And he's like, no, let's just keep going. And he's talking to me in my head. Just keep following. Just keep following me. Just keep following me. And, and it took me a minute. It took me a minute to realize he would not speak to me in third person. He would only speak to me from inside of me. I mean, I bet you I, I followed him through that human snake pit you know, for a while before it kind of dawned on me. And then finally I was like, oh, he's only talking to me. And first person. Why? Because we're one with him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so many times we relate in, in, from an identity standpoint, right? Like we are separate from God. That we are just God's child. We're God's child. But we don't realize that what, what that means to be God's child. You know, what does it mean to be the son of God? Well, Jesus, Jesus said it. Jesus said, hey, the Father and I are one. Sons of God are one with the Father. And so as soon as I realized that, I was like, oh, snap. I, I can hop into Jesus. Like, I've been back here dealing with this little two-foot path. And so I jump, you know, just like in my, in, in my head, in my mind. I just jump inside of Jesus. And I'm thinking, as soon as I jump inside of Jesus... You know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to figure out how he's making this path through the snakes, right? So I'm going to look down and I'm going to see, like, is he, is he stepping on their heads? Is he like, are they just parting before him? Like, what's happening? And as I look down, I realize there are no snakes. I look to the left, I look to the right. As Jesus now, I can stop and turn around. Of course, I'm not there anymore because now I'm in him. And there's no snakes. There's just this beautiful stream coming down through the, through the wilderness. And I'm like, whoa. And I got it. 
What'd you get, Shalise? Well, do you know that accusations can only come against an identity that is separated from Jesus? They do not exist. They do not exist in Christ. In Christ, who's going to bring it? <laughs> and in Romans 8, it says, who? And I'll, bring, I'll go to the scripture. Who shall bring a charge? Who shall bring a charge against Christ's elect? Who? Who will bring a charge? Who's going to bring? Who's going to bring an accusation against God's elect? Well, let me start in Romans 8.1. In, in the Passion Translation, here's what it says. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation for those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. I'm going to read it again. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. It means there's no, there's not even court. Guys, the case is closed. There are no accusations that you can't bring charges against those that live in union with Jesus. There is no court. That legal system has been overturned, overthrown. It no longer exists except in our minds. There's another scripture here, a little lower, that says this. Verse 33 says, Well, let me just go to verse 31 because it's so good. (laughs) It says, so what does this all mean? If God has determined to stand with us, and I want to say in us, tell me who who could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. I would also say the gift of himself because they're one. And it says, and since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for all, He certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Because here's the thing. When you are in him, everything he has is yours. There is no separation between what belongs to him and what belongs to us. It's it's a marriage. We're called the bride. It's his bank account. Well, wait, no, no, that's a joint. We're joint heirs with Jesus. Everything he has he belongs, it belongs to us. And he already gave us the, the most valuable thing, his blood, his life. So what else less valuable is he going to hold back when he gave you the, the thing that he could give, which was his body, so that you could live in it, so that you could be it. And this is awesome. It says in verse 33, it says, Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself, listen to this, is the judge. We're living in the judge. We're in the judge. So who's going to bring a court case against the judge when the system's already been thrown out? And the judge is retired. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. It says, it says, oh my goodness. It says, who then would dare to accuse them whom God has chosen and loved to be hid? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. Not guilty. 
And here's the reality of it, guys. Like, I know it's, it's why it's called good news, okay? The reality of it is, you did it. You are guilty. Okay, but that's not the system we're in. Jesus got the guilty verdict. And so now it's not guilty, it's not guilty, it's not guilty. So there's no, even if there was an accusation, it's still not guilty. They're all not guilty. They're all not guilty. But there's, who can even do it? Who has the audacity to even accuse? You know who does? The accuser. He's an idiot. He has the audacity. Somebody needs to preach the gospel to him. And I'll tell you, that's how you overcome condemnation. Is you do preach the gospel to the accuser. Because when you know it, he has to shut up. Verse 34 says, Then who is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, enthroned by God at his right hand. Which, oh, by the way, is where you are as well. So how could he possibly condemn us since he's continuing to pray, pray for us for us to triumph? So I'm going to stop here for a second. I'm going to go back here. When we are in Christ and we are operating out of our true identity and, and being who we actually are. I mean, our, our lives are hidden in Christ. You are complete in Christ. Put on Christ. The Apostle Paul said it in so many different ways. There is no accusation when there is no you apart from him. There is no you apart from him. Okay, it's like you got married and your last name's Christ. I know that's not good theology, but I'm making a point here, right? And I'll say this, okay? Let Let me come back to this because these accusations, guys, come in so many different ways. Okay, they come from just about everything you can imagine. Okay, let me tell you, they come from your bank account if you're running low on money, right? They come from, you know, well-meaning Christian people who think you need to do something else to be a good Christian, right? They come from all kinds of life circumstances, but let me also tell you where they come from, guys. They come from ourselves. And I said this in a recent podcast, but I'll say it again There are only two opinions. Okay, there is only God's opinion and the accuser's opinion. The idea that you have an opinion that is separate, that's like my opinion, well, that's the epitome of pride. I mean, that's the devil saying, I want to be like God. Well, God is the judge. He's the opinion maker. He's the meaning maker. Can I say this? He's the truth decider. So it's either on the side of truth or it's on the side of a lie. And guess what? There is no gray. You can't be, it's like, you know, part, you know, it's like part pure. You can't be part pure. Either you're in Christ and you're holy or you're not. Like it's, you can't be perfect and then have a little bit of imperfection. No, then it's imperfection. And, and so what am I sharing here is that we have got to agree with God. And, and you know, it's one thing when you, here's the thing that I think is so subtle about this, is that we fail to recognize that actually a lot of the things that we're experiencing in our lives are accusations. They're accusations against our identity. And your opinion is the deciding factor. 
It's what you agree with about yourself that matters. Because what you believe is what you will experience. I've said this, I use this example so much that it feels like an old example, but it's just such a great example that I keep using it. It has to do with the grasshopper image that the Israelites had in the wilderness, you know? Think about it. They saw themselves like grasshoppers, and they could not experience the promised land. In other words, they could not fulfill their destiny. They could not fulfill their God-given destiny because of the way they related to themselves. So don't tell me that our relationship with ourself is not important, that our self-image is not important. Because I will tell you this, that when you are in agreement with God, when you are hidden in Christ, and you don't, you, those accusations, they don't even exist. You can't even hear them. And you think about it with the religious spirit. Let me tell you what that religious spirit does. Because even when you, we think about Jesus' ministry and how the Pharisees and how the religious people were constantly accusing Jesus. Oh, you're casting out the devils by the spirit of Beelzebub, right? You're, you know, who do, who do you think you are to make yourself out equal to God? I mean, they were constantly accusing him. As a matter of fact, it, it was those accusations that, that got him crucified. I mean, the religious spirit, let me tell you this, is the voice of the accuser. Why? Because they're legalist. It's a legalistic spirit. It is a, it is a keeper of right and wrong. You did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. It has a relationship with the law, and it is all about a righteousness apart from Christ. It's about you having an identity that is separate from God, and is trying to get you to clean it up, to act right, and it, which is a completely, it's, the, the gospel is not a self-improvement program. It is not you getting, you know, the better version of you, unless the better version of you is the one that lives in Jesus. Yeah, you did get a better version. The one that lives in union with Jesus, the one that's resurrected. I mean, there's scriptures in Colossians that blow my mind. I think it's Colossians chapter 3 that says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. You're like, what? I'm resurrected. I'm resurrected. I've been resurrected. I, you know, a lot of us are waiting for Jesus to come back so we can get resurrected. Well, we can experience the resurrection now. We don't have to wait for some end time theology. You're like, what, Shalise? I'm saying that we can live like the resurrected King Jesus right now in 2019. How do I know? Because the Apostle Paul said, as he is, so are you in this world. And last time I checked... He's, he's ascended and he is resurrected and he holds the keys of hell and death and he has all authority and all power. Let me read this in Colossians. Whew. Okay, let me go to Colossians 2 though because I like that too. I like all of it. I just like all of it. The very end of chapter 2 says this. Colossians chapter 2, it's so good. Oh, Okay. Oh, wait, maybe it wasn't that one I'm thinking of. Let me see if I can find it. Okay, okay, it is. Lord of mercy. Verse 20, Colossians 2.20 says, For you were included in the death of Christ and have died with him to the religious system and powers of this world. 
Don't retreat back into being bullied by the standards and opinions of religion. And then in Colossians 3, it says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why you are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities not with the distractions of the natural realm. Verse 3 says, Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. Verse 4, And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. You know, I started out this podcast talking about how, you know, God started dealing with me about, you know, my relationship with myself last year. And I talked about, hey, you fear the reactions of men and da-da-da-da-da. You know, and through all of this, you know, Why now? Why is God coming after this right now? Why? 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 Because, beloved, if you're going to really do what you're on the planet to do, and if you are going to be an authentic version of yourself, you have got to be brave. And own who you are in all of the arrogance of what that means. And when I say all of the arrogance of what it means, I mean in all the boldness of what that means. The righteous are as bold as a lion. And you have to stand in that place. Regardless if anybody else agrees, regardless if anybody else likes it, regardless of what anybody else thinks. And it doesn't mean that we're just like, you know, blowing over people and being disrespectful. That's not it. You know, Jesus just, it it means like you read the Gospels and you look at how Jesus handled himself. I mean, his identity did not move based upon what the people, even the people that you know, we're following him thought. I mean, at one point he's talking about eating my blood and my, my body and my flesh and drinking my blood. He's like, he's a vampire. Like, what? Right? And everybody leaves. And he's like, are you got, you know, a couple of stayed. He's like, are you going to leave me too? You know, I mean, he literally did not have a regard. He didn't have a problem. Let me say it this way. Triggering people. <laughs> oh, you better hear me. Because let me say this. The gospel triggers the religious. And let me say this. You being unreligiously who God created you to be is a trigger. By define, I mean by almost like definition, it offends the law. Your freedom offends the law. 
And here's the thing, when we're so afraid of being rejected, when we're so caught up with belonging, when we are so into needing everybody to like us, then who the heck are we? We are whoever anybody needs us to be in the moment. And the truth is, you have never accepted yourself. Because until you accept yourself, you will never belong anywhere. And once you accept yourself, you'll never need to belong anywhere because you already belong. That need will be fulfilled. Man, I better say that again. Until you accept yourself, you will never belong anywhere. Why? Because acceptance is an internal reality. It is not something that can be given externally. When you self-accept yourself, you know what you do? You, be- you become your own belonging. I belong. I belong in my skin. I belong inside of me. I belong because I have accepted who I am. Now, get granted, let's be clear. God's the one that wrote the permission slip for you to do this. You have a permission slip from God. It's called the cross that gives you permission to accept yourself. Imperfections, process, you know, underway, construction zone, renovation from the inside out happening every single day. Guess what? You're still accepted. You are perfectly imperfect. And you, not only do you have permission, by the way, you have a command to accept yourself. Because when you reject yourself, you reject God's verdict. And you set yourself up as the judge. Now you're Judge Shalise. It's Judge Shalise. God says I'm perfect, but I say I'm a jerk. God says I'm perfect, but I say I'm an idiot. I say I'm ugly. I say I'm fat. I say, I mean, I'm whatever. And I'm not saying that we are in denial. Please understand. It is one thing to say I am growing in learning how to control my temper. It is one thing to say I am growing in learning how to, in, in, in self-control. I, God is teaching me lessons about how to love my kids the way he does. I mean, it is one thing to understand that you are growing in your knowledge of Jesus. And it's another thing to self-depreciate. And it's another thing to assume the voice of the accuser against yourself. And here's the thing. Living like Jesus is popular with sinners. but it's not popular with a whole lot of people. I look at Jesus' ministry, and I'm not saying that all people that were in the religious system, I mean, it, there were definitely religious, you know, people <laughs> that, that came to Jesus and were saved. I mean, Paul the, Paul the apostle was like the chief religious guy that when he encountered Jesus for himself, turned, 
So it's not that Jesus doesn't attract or can't get through and that we are to, you know, not, like we're trying to offend, you know, the religious spirit. No, 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 no. Because our relationship with the religious spirit is love. I mean, I say the religious spirit. I mean people that are religious and under it. Let me, let me talk about the religion, religion for a minute. See, religion is a system. And we call it a religious spirit. It's, it's really a system. It's like racism. You know, racists are jerks. But they're jerks because they've been programmed by a system. So the fight is against the system of racism. Martin Luther King was fighting a systematic, you know, belief. It's a belief system. It's a, it's a system that puts people in bondage. And that's religion. Religion puts people in bondage to an identity and to a way of thinking that is not the gospel. So we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not fighting against humans. We're beings. We're, we're loving. God died for the religious as much as he died for the prodigal. You know, he loved the elder. I mean, brother. He, he said, come on to the party. Everything I have is yours too. I mean, so it's not this fight against religious people. It is a fight against the accusations behind a religious system. And it is a fight to not agree with the opinions that obviously people have because they are under that system. Does that make sense? And again, in the case of racism, I mean, I don't care if it's, you know... Um, against African-American people, if it's against Asian people, whatever, against white people. I mean, racism is a can come in any flavor, you know, anti-Jewish, uh, you know, it just can come in any flavor. The point is, if you are the one that's being discriminated against, the challenge is to not base your identity or your worth or your opinion of yourself based upon the opinions of the racists, Right? No, it's the same thing with a religious spirit. You do not base your opinion of yourself based upon the accusations of whether it's religion, whether it's the, whatever it is, performance, whether it's poverty, whether it's even sickness is an accusation. It's an accusation that you're not healed. You know, and so... What am I sharing with you? I'm sharing, let me, let me give you kind of the power of this encounter and why I believe God is calling me to begin to share it now. I mean, now it's about a year since I started really sitting with this and experiencing this. I think, first of all, because it's, it's, I've got it and it's time for you to get it. Uh, but secondly, because I, the reality is, is that as, as I began to just, you know, stay in this place in Christ, or even just think about this whole revelation. You know, it just, it, it became more difficult for me to have an opinion about myself, even when I really blew it, that was not in agreement with him. And I mean, I'm still walking it out for sure. Why? I'm walking it out because God's taking me somewhere. And he's taking me somewhere to, he's got to be, I got to be clear. <laughs> I got to be real clear. Because guess what? There's going to be some reactions. 
I mean, they're already, my whole life has been that way. You know, it'd be interesting to be afraid of something that you're already reacting all over the place. But the point is, the same is true for you. You have got, we, we have got to be in a place where we are free from other people's emotions. We are free from other people's behavior. We are free from other people's uh, decisions and choices. We are independently dependent upon the Lord. We are self-sufficient, it says in Philippians chapter 4 in the Amplified Version. I love this scripture. I'm going to bring it up. But my, the part that I love, I'll just paraphrase it real quick, that we are, the Amplified piece says, we are self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Man, that just is incredible. It's an incredible freedom to be self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. It means that you have one source. You have, you have the, a source that comes from inside. So good. It says this. Oh, let me get into the Amplified version. Oh, I don't have. I have. I don't have. It's the Amplified Classic. I think we'll see what it says on my phone. Um. Uh, let me get there. Thank you for your patience. Yeah, it's here. Okay, in verse thirteen, it says, "I can do all things which He has called me to do, through Him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill His purpose." I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Listen to this. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Let me read it again. I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me. To fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready. And I want to say this. In Christ. I am ready for anything. Equal to anything. Through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Hmm. And I love verse 12 that kind of introduces it. It says, I know how to get along. And live humbly in difficult times. This is the Apostle Paul. I know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. Oh, wait. Oh, he said this. Let me, let me rephrase it. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. Means that money doesn't define him, people. And then it says, in any and every circumstance, say it with me, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need. And this is what, that's when he says in verse 13, I can do all things which he has called me to do. So, beloved, I, I, there's so much I could say on this. There's, there's, uh, I, I know in the next podcast I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be kind of piggybacking off of this, maybe for the next few episodes. But, you know, I encourage you to listen to this again. And I know it's not necessarily the, the prettiest encounter you might have heard uh, in recent days, but... I believe that it's an effective way that the Holy Spirit communicated it to me uh, to help us grasp the need to get in agreement 
with who we are in Christ. And to hide, hide inside of Jesus, literally. Like the safe place is in Christ. It's not, you know, I know we got like, you know, our secret place, but the true secret place, the true hiding place is inside of Jesus. And I'll tell you, when you are in Christ, you can hide right in the middle of his heart. And I will say this, you know, I, I, as I, as I walk people through the process of getting established in their union with God through, you know, the book I've written, The Path, which you can get your copy at, i got to throw that in, www.thepathfreebook.com, or, you know, when the students go through Emerge and we're, we're, we're establishing people in their union through all of the different exercises that we do and the meditations and all the things that, that we do. The most important thing, I tell people there are like three things that are the most important assignment that I have. And one is to make your union, to make their union with God an experiential reality. The second one is kind of the fruit of that, which is to be able to hear God on demand. And the third part of that is, is to actually, from that place of intimacy and hearing and communing with God, get clear on what your purpose is and why you're on the planet. And it's interesting because now that you've got the union and you can hear God, now you're actually equipped to actually do your purpose because that's what it takes. It takes living out of your true identity. It takes living in union with God and following the leader through the wilderness through the wilderness of accusations, through the wilderness of sin, okay? It's the wilderness of sin. It's the wilderness of a, of a place that, God, there's all these accusations hitting. Who are you to do this? Are you sure you heard God? You know, you can't even do this right. You're an idiot. You messed up over here, and look at this. You can't even balance your checkbook, blah, blah. I mean, just you name it, a million accusations. You have to go through this wilderness that is totally sin-conscious, And you've got to go through that wilderness bravely. You've got to brave that wilderness, but you're brave because you live in the brave one. You're courageous because Jesus is courageous. And the truth is, when you step into him, guess what? You can't even hear the accusations. Jesus said this, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. They don't even listen. They don't recognize the voice of a stranger. Guess what? You can't even hear the accuser when you're hidden. I heard Graham Cook, and I'll wrap with this one time, give this a really, really good, he had an encounter that was, I guess, kind of similar to this. But I'm gonna, I may butcher it, but I'm just going to, this is what I'm, because I'm working from memory, but it was, he was in this battle, and he was being chased by armies and armies and armies of, I think they were just like straight up demons, I think. Reminded me of kind of Lord of the Rings in, in my imagination. And so he's running, and he's running, and he's running, and he says he kind of sees up ahead of him, it was like a shower curtain in the middle of this meadow or this field that he's running through or this, you know, whatever. And he comes up and he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll get in the shower curtain. So he gets in the shower and closes the curtain behind him. And it's like the hordes of hell just split with the shower curtain and go on either side and just keep on chasing, like, even though he's not there. And he was like, God, what is that? And he said, Graham, your life is hidden in me. When you hide in me, the enemy can't find you. And I shared, I shared that whole thing about 
the most important lessons that, that come out of Emerge, just to say this, I had a point in saying all of that. Besides just, you know, you knowing about it and, hey, if you want to be a part of Emerge, reach out. Send us an email at info at shalice.com or get on Facebook and message me. Whatever you need to do, just get in touch with us and we'll get you hooked up. But I said it for this reason. You meditating on this truth. You know, why does God speak in encounters? Because they're experiences. And I will say this. Meditation, even if it's on my encounter, Meditation on your encounters, especially if you've had an encounter that is based in your union. If you've, if you've stepped into Christ in your imagination or you, um, you know, have visualized, you know, the Christ in you, the hope of glory from Colossians 127, which you know is what God had me do for a whole year. Why? Because meditation will birth visions. And I say visions, I mean imaginations, internal pictures and internal imaginations in your head. And here's why that's so powerful, guys. It's because you've had a million experiences of yourself separated from God. You live, we live 95% of our lives probably with an idea that we're separated from God. So, but when you meditate on these encounters, even the ones that I'm sharing or these scriptures that I'm giving you, you begin to have a new experience. And you know what? That is how our subconscious is programmed. What you believe was programmed into you by experiences. So your separated image, your self-image, the self-image that you have, whatever degree it is separated from Christ today, was created by experiences. Revelation, you know, with the Holy Spirit, is, is, a, is a, it's an experience. So when we meditate on this and, and we, we experience things, like I've experienced with the Holy Spirit over the course really probably of about a year, you know what? It's renewing my mind. It's re- it renews your mind because you're experiencing something new. And experiences, let me tell you, when you get into these experiences, I'm telling you, use your spiritual senses. It's just like remembering, you know, a vacation where you're at the beach or something. And you can go back into that memory and you can like, mm, let me smell the ocean breeze. I mean, do you know that all of your, your senses are stored in memories? Meaning you can, you can actually smell memories in your memories, especially with practice. I mean, it takes practice, but you can. You can hear the ocean. You can hear the wah wah, you know, the birds and stuff. So when you're in these encounters and you're in these meditations, Activate your spiritual senses so that the experience becomes real. I get It's like you're tricking your subconscious mind. You're having a new experience of yourself. And as you do this, your self-image will be transformed. Your mind will be renewed. And as a result, the Christ in you will become your new identity. All right, well, let me close here. Father, I thank you for this podcast. And I, I thank you, Father, that there is a truth nugget in here. There's, there's a, there's a happy meal. There's a, there's a whole chicken nugget, happy meal worth of revelation in here, Father. And I just thank you that, that the listeners are going to eat. They're going to eat. They're going to eat. They're going to eat. They're going to eat. And they're going to eat some more. Father, I pray that for those that are, are really being spoken to by this podcast, Father, that they will, they'll plant themselves here and they'll plus, they'll press repeat. Father, that they won't go on to 15 other lessons learning nothing. But God, that they would sit and they would meditate and they would put this thing on repeat until it becomes their own revelation, until it becomes their own experience. 
But Father, I pray that, my goodness, if, if, if my life is going to help someone, that'll make it worthwhile. <laughs> if my pain can be used to heal someone else's, Father, that will make it worthwhile. And so I just, I just ask all of this in the name of Jesus. And I bless every person, Father, with a revelation of their union with God. And I break off the spirit of religion off of every person. And I take authority over the voice of the accuser. And I say, shut up. Especially in the ways that you have been disguising yourself in first person. And how you have been talking to us as though you are us. I, I just I just cast out that familiar voice that sounds like us, that is not us, that accuses us accuses the brethren, the word says, day and night. I say, shut your mouth in Jesus' name. And I just release, again, that revelation, Father, that makes us aware of it, God. I just pray that we would develop a a greater sense of awareness, Father, of what's happening inside our own heads, and that we would not agree with the negativity, that, God, we would have a, we would have compassion for ourselves, that we would learn to relate to ourselves and love ourselves the way that you do. And I just release that, Father. I receive that. And I thank you for it. I I know you're not going to finish until you're done, Holy Spirit. You're coming after this with a vengeance. I heard you say not too long ago that it is tough to live inside of people that don't like themselves. (laughs) Excuse me. Recovering from a cough there, but... Lord, we just thank you that, that you've got patience, thank God, but you're still coming after it. And so I just praise you that you're going to finish the good work you begin. You're going to lead us into all truth, Holy Spirit. And we're going we're gonna to see the fruits of this message in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, I encourage you to head on over to Shalise.com and support the podcast. Uh, because of your generosity, this mes- these messages are going out all over the globe. We get feedback every week from listeners all over the world. And it blesses them, and it blesses me, and uh, it's going to bless you when you sow into that and become a part of renewing people's minds and establishing their true identity and empowering people to actually hear the gospel as it is intended to be preached. So I bless you, and I bless your giving. I bless your finances, and I just bless you as you head into this week. All righty. God bless you. I love you guys. Talk to you later.